Hi, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, Je of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have, since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God will uh, testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth in insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory and praise to God. Hear the word of God. Uh, friends, welcome to St. Jude's. Welcome to Uni Church. My name is John Forsyth. I have the great privilege of being the vicar of this church. And can I extend a particular warm welcome to you if this is your first time here? We are delighted to have new people with us each week. And we really do hope that you feel welcomed and see something of the Lord Jesus as we gather. If it is your first time, you've come at a great time. We are starting a new series looking at the book of Philippians, a letter for the next eight weeks. And we've entitled the series, as you can see from the graphic, Lives Worthy of the Gospel. And it is a, a wonderful and encouraging letter. It, it helps us as a church reflect on things some deep things, what it means to have unity in Christ and, and, and the joy and the fellowship that flow, off, uh, flow on from that profound reality. So let's look at this text together. Always great if you have got a Bible on your phone or accessible to have, to have it open with you as we look at these words together. We read in verse 1, always a good place to start that Paul and Timothy are writing, servants or literally slaves of Christ Jesus. Now this letter is written uh, by Paul most likely when he is in prison in Rome around about 60 to 62 AD. You can kind of work out roughly then. And he writes this letter, we continue on, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons, together with the church leadership. And notice he uses that little phrase there, God's holy people, which is a, a, perhaps an unusual term. It simply means the saints, the church that are gathering in Philippi. And that word holy, it's one of those Christian words. It means to be set apart for the service of God, set apart for a special purpose. Not your everyday, but for your special purpose. And this is a quick reminder, of course, that holiness, that being set apartness, is not something that we can do ourselves. We can't make ourselves holy. 
We can't set ourselves apart. No, it is God's work through the gospel. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we as his people are made holy. So if you look around, have a look around. They're holy people right next to you this evening. Astonishing, right? Well, let's meet this town. It's called Philippi. Well, uh, how did it get the name? Well, unsurprisingly, it's named after someone famous. Well, in this case, Philip II of Macedon, who was father of Alexander the Great. Always a good name for a son if you want to give them aspirations. Uh, He kind of annexed the whole area in around about 356 BC and in an act of humility named the town after himself. Uh, After conquering that area in about 160 AD, the Romans uh, in 42 BC established a Roman colony for soldiers at this place called Philippi. And so much so that it actually became a mini Rome. People were so enamoured with Roman culture that they transported it to this place. And so it was Roman law, Roman citizens, Roman culture, in the same way that people in other cities of Australia, like Sydney and Brisbane, copy Melbourne. It was that kind of thing going on. So how was the church then established? Well, we have a great account in Acts 16. And I commend you to read Acts 16 later this week. It's a fantastic story. Uh, of how Paul, in his secondary missionary journey, uh, somewhere between 49 and, and 52 AD, uh, as, uh, with uh, Silas, his colleague, meet Lydia outside the city, which is a businesswoman who works in purple cloth. Uh, and she's worshipping God, and he shares the gospel with her. And she becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus and is baptised. And others start worshipping through, through this uh, small, tiny little church. And the church grows even more through a strange event later on in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are actually thrown into jail in Philippi because they, they freed a slave girl from an evil spirit and the, the people in the town didn't like the uproar. And they're singing as hymns. They've got a, you know, that joy of music and the Lord. And as they're singing, there's an earthquake. And we, of course, in Melbourne are used to earthquakes now, but it was uh, quite a big earthquake. It caused all the doors of the jail to open. And the jailer who thought his life was lost is told the gospel by Paul and Silas. And he becomes a Christian and he and his family are baptised that very night. And the next day Paul and Silas get thrown out of town. It's action packed. And so they leave behind this fledging church which includes a successful businesswoman, a freed slave who's been oppressed by demonic forces and the very jailer who'd actually imprisoned them for preaching the gospel. Interesting church planting team. And as Paul begins his letter, we can see that he has this deep and abiding joy for these people. You cannot help, as we even just read those first few verses, just the longing he has and affection that he has for this church in Philippi. And as we read his letter, what we see him doing with this joy is encouraging these people to keep at the centre of their church the thing that should be at the centre of every church. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For them to live lives worthy of the gospel. And in these opening verses, we see Paul does this in three ways. Firstly, he commends 
their gospel-centered partnership. He commends their gospel-centered partnership. Secondly, he encourages them with gospel-centered passion. Gospel-centered passion. And thirdly, he prays for them a gospel-centered prayer. So let's look at these these three parts one by one. Firstly, the gospel-centered partnership. This is in verses three to six. He starts by telling them how much he prays with joy for them. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. All times, all prayers, all of you, all joy. In fact, in the original language, that all is much more obviously repeated. And for our friends who are starting Greek tomorrow, God bless you on your trip. These are the kind of gems we get from Scripture as we studied in the original language. So what gives Paul such joy that he can't help but say it so many times? Well, the answer's right there in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That, friends, is what gives him joy. Their partnership in the gospel. Now, that word partnership is often translated as fellowship. Now, as Christians, we often use the word fellowship quite regularly. What we mean generally by fellowship is usually a caffeinated drink with a Christian or perhaps a meal with a Christian. So we're going to have dinner after church and enjoy some fellowship, right? If we have a meal or a caffeinated drink with a non-Christian, that's not fellowship. But if we have it with a Christian, that's fellowship. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't quite capture what this word truly means. In its original context, it's much closer to a business partnership than a cup of tea. It's something that you would invest your money in, your time in. Uh, Don Carson, a New Testament scholar, says he calls it a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. You're in. You buy the shares. You invest in the company. You become a partner. And notice here, the shared vision is a partnership in the gospel. That's the shared vision between Paul and this church. Paul is preaching the gospel and they are seeking to partner with him. And there's an explicit example of what this means a little bit later on in chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul writes, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me, that's that word fellowshipped, partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. You, Philippians, shared, partnered with me in gospel ministry. In other words, it's a true partnership, a mutual sharing of giving and receiving. And this partnership is in, in the gospel is crucial because it, at its first and foremost, is, of course, Christians proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know Jesus yet. But partnering the gospel also is a way that Christians mature. In other words, partnering with the gospel has an outward focus, proclamation, and partnering with the gospel has an inward focus, maturing, 
Look at that in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, that good work that God has commenced in these people is the work of grace that began when they first heard the gospel and believed. When their eyes were opened to the glory of Christ and went, wow. And it's a continuing work. It wasn't kind of one and done. No, God is still at work through the same gospel, growing his people in the knowledge and love of their saviour. See, partnering in the gospel grows followers of Jesus because it grows their assurance of salvation in him. Confident in his work, says Paul. Not your work, not my work, Jesus' work. And partnering in the gospel grows followers of Jesus because it matures us. It carries on to completion that work that Christ began in you, that, that moment that you believed. He's still at work in you now. Until that day when Christ returns. Partnering in the gospel. And friends, we like that church in Philippi are called to be partners in the very same gospel. Not just involved but invested. Let me give you what I mean by that. Now, one of the great joys I have on a quiet Saturday morning is a quality bacon and egg roll, where the bacon's just a little bit crispy and the egg, you need a bit of runniness in the yolk of the egg. None of that solid, you need it to ooze, and that, that quality barbecue sauce on a nice brioche. People are nodding, right? I'm making you hungry. Now, when it comes to the bacon and egg roll, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Think about it. Penny's dropping, right? Chicken is involved. The pig's fully invested, right? Fully. And I'm going to say this in the nicest possible way, so don't mishear me. Don't be a chicken at church, be a pig. I know it's the year, it's not the year of the pig this year, it's the year of the tiger. It doesn't quite work. Be a pig, be, be all invested partner in the gospel don't just come to church by the way you don't just come to church you are the church don't just come to church as an audience as a consumer to just receive no no and don't just be involved in church as if like an employee would at work it's deeper we are called to be deeply committed to God's church, to the gospel as partners, which means we invest in it. We give to the work of the gospel. So how do we do that? There are lots of ways you can do it. Can I give you three very practical ways just to start the conversation? Maybe you can continue the conversation over fellowship. <laughs> fellowship over fellowship, right? Number one. Partnering in the gospel means investing in people. Partnering in the gospel means investing in people. Now, we are a church which has a wide front door. What I mean by that is not literally the front door. That's boarded up because of a local council issue. I won't go into that now. But what I mean by that is we are a church that generally has a large number of visitors and newcomers, and it's a great joy to have that. 
And generally, generally, I, my hope is that people feel warmly welcomed. Welcomed by people, welcomed by God as they come here. Uh, one of the dangers, though, is there is sometimes a temptation just to hang with people that you know. Your Sunday posse. Maybe you've got your own seats, but I think COVID kind of shifted up a bit because you're watching online, but maybe you've kind of developed an, an appreciation just for that seat. See, investing in the gospel means inviting people to church who don't normally come. It means sharing the gospel with people, and it means sharing of ourselves. We are running a Christianity Explored course, soon as Sam mentioned. That is a great way to invest in people, to show them the beauty and grace of the gospel. When someone new comes into church, to actually say hello to them and be interested and to find out about them. That is a great way of investing in people. When someone is struggling and needs support and prayer, to pray with them and be with them, that is a great way to invest in people. Partnering in the gospel. Secondly, another idea would be to partner in the gospel means investing our time. And I get it, we are all time poor. We're all very, very busy, very important. But actually, I think one of the challenges we face is we're less time poor than option rich. That's why there's that maybe button, right, on Facebook events. Because you're going to hold out for other options. Who knows, something else might come along that's better. So many choices available to us. But friends, it's important that we commit our time as we seek to partner with the gospel, to actually being at our Bible study, to coming to church, to think about serving in other aspects of our church, in kids' church or on estates, investing time in people who need it, investing our time to God. Time is precious, yes. That's why we invested in people and invested in the gospel. So time, think about how you use your time. Thirdly, partnering in the gospel means investing our money. Now I realize uh, many of us are students and are not on millions of dollars a year, I understand. Some of us are workers and are yet to earn millions of dollars a year, I understand. But here it is, God knows your heart. God knows your ability to give. And the call is that God desires that we as his people are joyful and generous and sacrificial. Whether that's $5 a week or $1,000 a week, in a one way, is irrelevant. If you have a gospel vision, you give with joy. You give generously. You give sacrificially. Why? Because it's going to the work of the gospel. And one of the great things I love about St. Jude's is things like Uni Church and things like our mission, our partnership in the gospel, reaching the housing estates, is done through the generosity of people who aren't in this congregation particularly our morning congregations where there are workers who've been in, in the workforce for a while, because of the partnership in the gospel, because they love uni church, I want to see the gospel at work here, and because they love the estates, they generously give. 
What a wonderful blessing that is. And it's up to us as well. Are you generous? Are you intentional? Are you sacrificial? Are you joyful? Also, our global mission partners. We have about 19, almost 20 people that we have sent out in global mission. Partners in what? Well, guess what that's in? Partners in the gospel. And we support them financially to take the gospel to our world. So let's strive to be a, a church that continues to be committed to partnering in the gospel. What part will you play? How will you invest what God has given you? So Paul commends them for their gospel-centered partnership. Secondly, we see that, that Paul commends them with gospel-centered passion. Have a look at verses 7 and 8. And as we read it, just think about the language that Paul uses here. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What I love about Paul's partnership here with this church, it's not some cold business-like relationship, even though that's what the word means. It's a partnership that has, has bound these people together with love and with affection. The, Paul, the language there, it is right for me to feel this way. I have you in my heart, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Literally, I yearn for you in my bowels of Christ Jesus, in my guts. That's where the heart of emotion is in the worldview. Now imagine writing that in your legal, Natalie's done the legal, uh, worked for a lawyer for a while. I'm pretty sure that's not really the language of a legal partnership, right? We want to merge our two companies together. How I long for you and I yearn for you in the bowels. In my bowels. That's not going to find that language, in the, in the, or I hope not anyway, in the legal. It'd be weird, right? In fact, it almost reads closer, I would argue, to a marriage vow in some ways. This is a, a beautiful thing. This is, this is a, a partnership of love and affection. And Paul explains the reason for this very emotional language. It's because all of you share in God's grace with me. All of you share in God's grace with me, says Paul. And so my bowels are moved. And that little word share in is the same word as you guessed it, partnership or fellowship. It's a bit more than a cup of tea, isn't it? Paul cherishes them because he knows that whether he is in prison on trial for the gospel, they are partners with him in God's grace. They've received the same gift that he has, the gift of life from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the joy of fellowship the joy of partnering in the gospel is not circumstance, but Christ. When you share in grace, you share in joy. And so Paul encourages them with a gospel passion. And I think it's a wonderful and helpful reminder because sometimes we can lose that joy of being with God's people. 
Now, I, I grant it with COVID, it's kind of novel to meet together, right? It's lovely, we get to see people. But there are times where, where meeting together can feel a bit like a drag. There are those, you know those weird people at church? And they're mostly on staff, I grant it. But you know, they, it can feel awkward at times. But I think when it's happened, remember this. Remember that you share the most amazing gift with these people. You share the most amazing gift with these people. The grace of God. See, friends, we have people at St. Jude's from all different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, different stages of life, different ages. And outside this service, you may have very little in common, except the most important thing. We share the grace of God together. And friends, that should make your heart sing. And so Paul encourages them with his gospel-centered passion. And thirdly, Paul prays for them a gospel-centered prayer in verses 9 to 11. And he picks up this theme of love again in verse 9. He prays that their love may abound more and more. Now, Paul's not saying that the Philippian church have got no love. He's not saying you're a bunch of, you know, unloving so-and-so. He's saying, no, no, this is a loving church, but, but, but keep going. May your love for God and each other increase and overbound. In other words, love has no limit. There's no red line. There's nowhere full. And although it is love without a limit, notice it's not without purpose. Love is not restricted, but love is directed. He prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, knowledge and love work together to grow the Christian. It's a bit like how a boat needs both an engine and a rudder. So you can have all the knowledge in the world, but no love. Well, it's like a boat with the best rudder in the world and the most amazing GPS system, but no engine. Sure, ready to go, can't go anywhere. Maybe that's you. Secondly, you can be filled with love and a, and a passion to serve God's people, which is fantastic, but with no wisdom and no insight. You've got a fantastic engine, but you are the out-of-control hovercraft. No direction. And that little word, by the way, knowledge and depth of insight, that word is not sort of general knowledge, stuff in, you know, learning facts or being smart so you can solve the wordle problem in about three goes, as much as we like that. It actually is the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul uses that phrase throughout all of his letters, he always refers to knowledge of God. And it makes sense. If I want to love more, I should know more about God. It, it works in other relationships. Look, I want to grow in my love for my wife, Anna. It's crucial that I learn what pleases her. Now, I do love her dearly, but what I've discovered is leaving my clothes on the floor is not an act of love. I have learned that through knowledge and depths of insight from my wife. 
In other words, to know what pleases her, I have to listen to her. And therefore, if we're to know what pleases God, what do we have to do? We have to listen to God. Which, friends, this is why reading the Scriptures, reading the Bible is so important. It is his word to us. It gives direction to our love. And just as knowledge of God and his word serves as an incentive to Christian love, so love is necessary for a deepening knowledge of God, that they work together. As you read God's word, you grow in love. As you grow in love, you read God's word. And as you read God's word, you grow in love. And we see that the goal of this love and knowledge is in verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, we are to pursue what is best in the knowledge of God what is best in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what is, what is best in joyful obedience. So we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, Paul's prayer here is not a prayer for sinless perfectionism. What it is, it's a prayer that we, like the Philippians, would live with gospel priorities able to discern what is best. And we all want what's best, right? We want what's best for our lives, what's best for our study, what's best for our career, what's best for our relationships, perhaps marriage and kids down the line. Brothers and sisters, what, what is ultimately best for your study is that you love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is best if you're working or planning to work shortly for your career is that you love and that you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is best with your relationship with your parents or your, your spouse or your peers is, guess what? That you love and that you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, when we have gospel priorities. It gives us a lens to see how to love people and how to love God. To know what is ultimately best. And what's the result? Well, we have the result there in verse 11 as we finish up. All of this is to the glory and praise of God. All of this is for the glory and praise of God. See, by seeking to be a church that partners in the gospel, which I sincerely hope you're with us there, by seeking to be a church that serves with gospel-centered passion, and by seeking to be a church that prays gospel-centered prayers, we are doing, in all of these things, giving glory to the God who has made us and redeemed us, which is our purpose as a church. And so it's my prayer that we will do that. That Uni Church will continue to be a place that seeks to partner in the gospel. That Uni Church will continue to be a place where people serve with gospel centered passion and love the people that they serve. And that Uni Church will continue to be a place with gospel centered prayers so that God may be glorified. Friends, we're going to sing a song in just a moment, which is actually a prayer, 
which picks up some of the themes that we've looked at this evening. But I'm going to pray that God would help us give him glory before we do so. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, as we seek to partner in the gospel, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and praise. Amen.